There's frustration at the rate of progress to enact a national plan for managing invasive weed species. Back in late 2021, a major report was released warning that if exotic plants were left to their own devices, they could transform ecosystems beyond recognition. The Parliamentary Commissioner for the Environment, Simon Upton, described it as, quote, a silent invasion which required a coordinated response and better monitoring and surveillance systems. Those calls were amplified this year with a report from Ag Research warning that the sleeper weed Chilean needlegrass could become a billion-dollar problem for agriculture if a control plan wasn't put in place soon. Angela Brandt is a senior researcher at Monarchy Fenua and was involved in the 2021 report. She now works with teams on the ground to oversee several projects in weed ecology. Uh, Some of those teams want to see much more urgent action. Uh, Morning, Angela. Morning. With us also is the Parliamentary Commissioner for the Environment, Simon Upton. Kia ora. Good morning. Good morning. First, could each of you give us an indication of what we're talking about here? Angela, what are some of the threatening invasive weed species in play? Well, we have a lot of the quite well-known weeds where we've actually seen a lot of their impacts. Wild and conifers are a good example. They can... Uh, transform grassland systems into forests. They increase fire risk. Other flammable weed species can increase fire risk as well. But then we also have those forest understory weeds like Tradescanti and wild ginger. So we uh, don't see regrowth in the understory. We have the vines like Old Man's Beard, uh, Chilean Flame Creeper. Those could overtop and potentially uh, kill even uh, adult trees, adult native trees. But we also have at least 15 threatened plant species, for example, that are specifically at risk due to a weed species. These can even be uh, something like a fern or a grass that we don't even see as that scary when we look at it, but actually we could lose some of our native Tonga from these weed species. And then there is the economic cost as well. Which of these are threatening either to agriculture or horticulture? Definitely. Uh, quite a few threats for agriculture. Uh, you mentioned the Ag Research Report on Chilean needlegrass, which threatens the livestock industry. But there's also, uh, you know, the well-known weeds that we have gotten under control, like ragwort, which is poisonous to livestock. Um, but then there's some indirect effects as well, because having some of these weeds, which are globally known weeds, actually can influence our ability to export uh, certain uh produce or crops to other countries because they don't want the chance of any contamination from these weed seeds, uh, for example, to be involved in those in those crops uh, or in that produce and export. Another example, I think, is pampas grass. Once it's trapped on the skin of kiwi fruit, that kiwi fruit can't be exported, correct? Yeah, that could be a risk. Yes. Stay with us. Uh, Simon Upton, could you uh, just indicate what you see as the threat initially. Some of this is economic, some of it is, as uh, Angela said, to our native species, our Taonga species. Yeah, well, my, my interest uh, was specifically the risk to native species. I mean, we know all about the economic risk to agriculture, and that's a serious one. And the nice thing about it is you could put a number on it. So people can say, look, you know, you could have a billion dollars at risk by X year. The problem for the poor old environment, you know, our national parks, the, the Taonga, which we sell to the world as clean, green New Zealand, uh, this, of course, 
doesn't have those sorts of numbers around it. But let, let me, I mean, Angela is the expert when you come to, 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 to the plants. Let me just give you the big stuff. Look, this is one of the weediest countries in the world. There are about 2,300 native plants. There are 25,000 exotic plants in New Zealand. Two, uh, 1,800 of them have already naturalised. And every year, more naturalised. Things literally jump the garden fence. Just pause. 1,800 out of 25,000 have naturalised. Have naturalised, yes. And so that's still 23,000 that we want to <laughs> stop in their tracks. Oh, no, 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 no. Some of them won't. Some of them won't. Some of them, and they're wanted. They're economic plants. Okay. Just, this is all plants. But I'm just saying, okay, of the, okay. the, the 25,000 exotic plants... Some of which have been introduced deliberately, others which have just arrived. You've got 1,800 naturalised, and every year uh, mm. more are leaving people's gardens or leaving wherever they were. And you, so you can't predict. Uh, you can't just say, oh, well, because this isn't weedy somewhere else in the world, it won't be weedy here. Surprises keep cropping up all around the world. So what, what we need, we, we, this is not something we can eliminate. We can't get rid of it. This is a problem we have to live with. But if you're going to live with a problem, you may as well be organised about it so know that you what's know where. what's where and what's happening and you're tracking it. And that is not what we are doing. I'll come back because your frustrations go back at least a couple of years <laughs> when you made all these points then and also pointed out that this need not cost money or resource. It was about cooperation primarily. It will cost some money. I, I, look, let's be frank about this. You can't do this for nothing, but we could be doing a lot better than we are. And I, yes, I do think if we did better, then it would be worth spending some more. But what we've seen, and you mentioned, uh, or Angela mentioned wilding conifers, the government threw a big bundle of money at it and then hasn't followed up with enough to actually make good on the initial investment. So when we do spend money, some of it goes in a bonfire. Well, we're hearing right now from those battling those invasive exotics in fire-risk areas mm, like mm. Uh, uh, Mackenzie country that they are at the point where they're going to lose what they've gained. Okay. Angela Brent, can I come back to you? And what you have yes. been... who The people you've been talking to, different research groups, those tackling the problem on the ground... Breaking down those big numbers Simon had to practical management programs, what are they telling you? Yes, so there are some key needs out there. We do know what those needs are, and we've talked about what those needs are, and there's been some progress scoping out how do we, for example, better share the information we do have, how do we work together to coordinate, as Simon mentioned, the work we're doing, and, and where where is the responsibility for some of these things? Because there are national gains to be made, even if a weed is currently in only a few regions. And that's mentioned in that ag research report for Chilean needlegrass. That's a good example. But there's many of those examples. So how can we get ahead of the problem, essentially? And there are some ideas about that, but we actually do need coordination across regions, across agencies. Um, and we do actually need some funding for research into dealing with some of those problems. We've we've made some progress, but we actually do need further steps, and there are a few barriers to that. Who the are the people in play? And Simon will talk more about this. There's, there's some government agencies, but there's also the researchers yes. themselves. Could you give us an idea of how disparate the different parts of the system for trying to contain and manage are? Yes, so we have uh, all of the regional councils, for example, uh, who produce regional pest management plans, and that's one tool for dealing with weeds. That's the most regulatory tool. There are other approaches to uh, 
managing weeds for particular purposes, such as for biodiversity gains um, and other um, other aspects. Uh, but they're relying on their ratepayer bases um, and goals for that. And so there is a bit of education needed, right, to, uh, for the public to understand why we might think it's a good idea to uh, tackle one type of weed that maybe isn't yet a problem, that they don't see as a problem currently. Uh, so it's it's really a big public and people problem as well as the actual agency and, and practitioner who is doing the work. So there's there's a bit of a play there. But there's heaps of community groups and, and Manafenua who are actually very keen to take care of their place. And, and part of that is managing the weeds that are there and hopefully preventing new weeds from coming in. But there's nothing connecting all this, including the right information in the right place. Yes. Um, information is a challenge and and even just talking to each other, which is growing quite a bit. There are collaborative groups of uh, communities that are connecting the councils um, city and regional are starting to connect up more on a few different issues. Um, so it, it is happening, but it does take investment and uh, an understanding that that is valuable time spent. <laughs> and and then it's also who pays for it when it's a joint issue or a collaborative issue, then you have to have agreements in place to figure out who resources and whose role is each each piece of that. All right. Thank you. Let's bring in... Um... Simon Upton back in again, the Parliamentary Commissioner for the Environment. What was it that you proposed and proposed with urgency that would allow us to stay ahead of um, spread rather than trying to act after the horse is bolted? What was the system you proposed? Basically four things. We said, look, we need a joined up information system where everyone who's fighting this problem, working on it, can access the same information in real time. Secondly, we needed an expert team to scan for emerging risks. Thirdly, we needed national policy direction, uh, which actually prioritised and provided some leadership. And then, fourthly, that needed to be linked up with regional councils. Now, look, uh, Catherine, 12 months passed after I wrote the report. And I actually had to run my own workshop to invite the officials from the relevant agencies and regional councils to come and say, well, what are you doing about it? Now, we're another 12 months on again and have been a few baby steps, but that's all I can call them. As, as far as I'm aware, on joining up the information system, MPI has a one-person deep program trying to develop a portal. Now, it's a good idea, but it simply doesn't have the firepower. I can't see when that's going to come uh, to fruition. There is still no expert team scanning for emerging risks. And as for national policy direction, and I just took a look at uh, MPI's BIM this morning, uh, a document of of breathtaking generality. They're talking about reviewing the Biosecurity Act and refreshing the Biosecurity System. You know, just verbiage, there is no mention of this report. There is no mention of the fact that there's very specific concrete recommendations out making some progress. I think that you either have to buy into the problem or hand it to someone else. Uh, And I've got my views about the biosecurity system. I'm now thinking I should review other bits of it. Uh, But I'd like to get this one at least uh, in somebody's headlights uh, at this point because the silent invasion is real. 
every year you let things seed, you let things spread, the problem gets worse. And it's not linear, it becomes exponential. Anyone who has ever fought weeds, and I'm doing it literally month by month on my place, knows that if you don't stay in there, you'll lose the battle. And furthermore, if you don't know what's happening, you are operating in the dark. The wilding pines are an interesting example because, as you say, money was, I think, in the context of pandemic spending, spending poured into these mm. areas. And it's not just Mackenzie. That's one example. Mackenzie's an example because of the Lake Oho fires, right? Right. And the fire risk attached to this. But there's plenty of others. One wonders whether at some point when there was a Billion Trees program proposed, the focus changed from let's contain them or fight them to let it rip. And is that another risk? That there needs to be some priorities and some agreements on priorities. There certainly does need to be prioritisation. And to to get that, I think you really have to engage very closely, not just with the experts like Angela, the researchers, but also the very dedicated and skilled people in regional councils. I, I really feel for them. There are people out there having to fight their council year in, year out to establish that something should be on a list or shouldn't be on a list. There is no national uh, direction which really assists them. I mean, let me just give you this interesting little fact. In 2006, MPI drew up a national interest pest response list and it had 10 plants on it. We are now in 2024, 18 years later. No new plant has been added to that list. One's come off. Uh, It is an extraordinary inertia. Uh, when you know that there are thousands of these, hundreds of these, scores which you probably should be saying are nationally significant. You need to keep prioritising. You need it's, This is a real-time thing. You can't do it and say, job done, we know what the weeds are, we need to worry about, let's go back to sleep. They aren't going to sleep, and the ones that you didn't put on the list aren't going to sleep. You need to be constantly, in real time, updating this. When you uh, put out your uh, other report more than two years ago now, there was a submission process by councils and others, DOC and MPI. Um, And the regional councils in their submission said if one action is taken from this report, it would be the recommendation, a database of all exotic plants in New Zealand, not a portal run by one person in MPI. I presume that's not what you envisage. And is this where the the, the experts themselves, the scientists themselves, are interested in being involved in this? Would that be still, in your view, the one step that would make the biggest difference because people could access knowledge. Yes, yes, absolutely. And, and I really do think the ministry should listen to the people who are at the front line. They said that was the number one uh, need. I mean, this is not a question of having some brand new IT system or something. It's a question of joining up all the information that's there and enabling it to be joined up automatically in real time to enable the wide range of parties who are involved to contribute information in real time on status, distribution and spread. Then, Sounds almost 21st century, Dr. Upton. <laughs> well, it's just the way we've got tools today we mm. didn't have. Mm. We should mobilise those tools to make sure we're not wasting money and people's time. You've mentioned MPI several times. Another thing, because you wrote, I understand, I think this is pub- on public record, you, you wrote to the agencies frustrated, and that was um, about a year and a half ago. And you make the observation that at least the Department of Conservation 
I'm quoting, for the most part accepted the criticisms about its weed management. What was the response you got, however, from the Ministry for Primary Industries? Well, the Ministry was actually very, the Ministry of Primary Industries was very sceptical as to whether this really was um, the most important priority. Now, all I could say to them is, well, why don't you listen to the people who are in the field? Uh, and, and look, we're talking MPI all the time, and I'm pleased you mentioned DOC, because this is one of the problems of the biosecurity system. MPI is responsible for biosecurity, but it's DOC that is actually managing uh, our conservation estate. It's there to look after the biodiversity of the nation, and it's very hard for them to do that when there's another agency which runs uh, biosecurity. And this is not at the at core of what drives MPI. I mean, look at the biosecurity BIM, briefing to ministers, lovely picture on the cover of a gorgeous-looking dog and a handler at the airport. It's all about the border, and I'm not critical about that. I think, from what I can see, we do a pretty good job at the border. But then there's oh, all the stuff that's got loose anyhow... That is secondary. Uh, you, you feel it in the, in the DNA of the organisation. That's not where the focus is. The focus is on that border and so keeping stuff out. So what do you think should happen to achieve the leadership, and you use that word in your criticism as well, you say what I'm talking about here is leadership. Yes. What do you believe should happen to the system to ensure that leadership is happening for biosecurity and biodiversity? Well, funnily enough, here I agree with MPI. They need to review the Biosecurity Act. I think it may be past its use time, certainly for this element of the problem. It's all about something called unwanted organisms. The word plant is never mentioned. The word animal is never mentioned. The word pathogen is never mentioned. It's highly generic. And I think, actually, we probably made a mistake in the way we put that together. We need a dedicated plant risk uh, network in New Zealand which talks about plants rather than this abstract biosecurity system. But that's a, that is a legal system review, and it's been going for years. MPI will say, look, look, we've been recommending it to successive ministers, and they have. It just never becomes a priority. Should the, should the real grunt then move to another agency? To no, be blunt. No, no, I don't think it's a question of, uh, let's not start another round of moving things around. And, and, that's, and that's why in my report I said I, I'm not coming up with a grand scheme to, right. to reorganise the system. I just think that with, even within the powers you've got and the, and the act, which I think is clunky, it would not be impossible to, do this. to separate out plants and deal with them in a focused way. I'm going to digress in a way you won't approve of, but I think it gives us an example of the battle we're in, um, and that is moving from land to underwater in the Kalupa, that there mm. is now an absolute war on and its impact on um, mm. oysters, shellfish, um, biota, basically anything happening on the sea floor. I don't think we've yet processed, and we're having these kind of micro, desperate micro mm. efforts mm. to contain. Mm. The similarity is that we're going to have more and more of this. Mm. Climate change conditions, yep. um, uh, the acidification and temperature of, of um, the oceans as well. Mm. We're going to have more invaders, to use the word. Mm. Not all of them will be terrible, mm. but a lot of them will have impact. Mm. Mm. Are you surprised at the sort of lack of urgency and proactivity? Well, you say uh, I am. I, mean, I was surprised by the lack of urgency when I investigated terrestrial plants. Um, I think I'll now look at that marine environment um, and look at how well prepared we are there. Um, uh, and I hope I don't find the same. But ha has it been different? Uh, you've had a long career, including a career sitting around a cabinet table yourself. 
has there been a difference in the the proactivity or the speed of action in our public sector agencies over the you know, over the you've been away you were away at the OECD for a while but yeah. it just feels is the wrong word like it is harder and harder to move faster at a time when we need to move faster and where we have the technology to move faster mm. observation yeah, I think that's right. I mean, you're right. I was away for, for almost two decades. Uh, but when I come back and see the scale of the problems, and they have only intensified something like climate change, we're now seeing you know, what that can do. Uh, I am surprised that we seem to take longer and longer to get our minds around issues. I mean, this Biosecurity Act review has been being talked about for years for years. Now, that you can't just blame officials. You need politicians who are prepared to pick up issues and shake them. Uh, and so, let's hope. But then there needs to be some sort of speed of response, realistic mm-hmm. speed of response within the public sector itself. Yeah. And the point I'm making is, at a time when our technology... You, you mentioned a portal, and then we talked about a real-time database. The, the technological grunt to have a real-time mm-hmm. database with multiple users updating is light years ahead of where it was even 10 yeah. years ago. Mm-hmm. And yet the speed at which we yeah. seem to mm-hmm. take advantage of these things and perhaps advance yeah. these things... Yeah. I think I think this is a, it's a very interesting point. And, and, of course, what you're talking about is another form of infrastructure. I've been saying in every report I've written the last six years, but the, both the quality and the extensiveness of the environmental data and our ability to augment it is just falling further and further behind. Now, as a country, we still seem to be able only to identify things like roads and waterworks and things as infrastructure, but this is the infrastructure. <laughs> no, indeed, this is the infrastructure okay. of the century. Understood. And we need to invest in it. Angela, can I come back to you? Because now we're talking about spending big amounts of money again, but I want to come back to you briefly about the will and the cooperation between the different players here, being MPI, being DOC... Um, being scientific experts, being regional councils, that's not the, the hardware and the software, is it? That's, that's about, to Simon's point, a leadership and a cooperation that brings everybody's knowledge to the table. How well is that going and how much better could it be doing? So really we have some excellent relationships between all of those different organizations. Everyone who's, you know, working on the ground, uh, really doing that, the bulk of that work does work quite well together. There are some challenges, of course, in in actually linking our systems because we do have, you know, different internal software and hardware, but that that's the type of thing that we can work together to overcome. Uh, having the dedicated time and space to do that is important and that's been uh, prompted more and and provided for more in the wake of the Space Invaders report in terms of weeds, for example, but we do work quite closely together. So it's really trying to make that urgency understood and and get that and get more of that time and investment um, and coordinated planning together so that we can make some progress, I'm make tr- this a priority. Understood. I'm trying to think of how many ministers are play here now. So we've got 
MPI, we've got Minister of Conservation, which is probably a different minister. We've got Minister for Local Government, which is a different minister again. Minister of Environment. And on we go. There's a large number. And, and, and that is the nature of the environment, Catherine, that, mm-hmm. that it is a highly complex cross-cutting issue. So you do need to be working across boundaries and working together. Uh, and I'm sure that, as Angela says, there's a lot of officials who are doing the best they can. What's needed is some leadership. Well, that was your word in your yes. report two years ago. Minister of Science should be in there as well, by the way. Minister of Climate Change. Anyway, um, thank you both. Simon Appleton and also speaking there to Angela Brandt.